0: And adults, if you'll take your Bibles, um, turn with me to John chapter 14. We are not going to get to John 14 for a little bit, and your bulletins are a little deceiving. I have uh, Acts chapter 2 listed as uh, the the passage for for tonight. My intention as I was studying this week was to get to Acts chapter 2, but then as I was Studying and preparing, I'm like, well, we're not going to get to Acts chapter 2, but that's okay. Um, We're going to be uh, looking, spending most of our time in John 14 and John 15 this morning as we're continuing to consider the subject of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And we, again, if you remember back, uh, just to do a quick review, we've established very clearly the prophetic role that Christ is given that only he can fulfill. Uh, If you remember, Moses. Uh, spoke in the law by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that that there would be a prophet like him that would rise up among God's people. And of course, Christ is the fulfillment of that uh, prophecy. He is the one who perfectly fulfills the role of prophet. And one of the things we discussed is that God had used many prophets who would come and say, Thus saith the Lord. But over time, uh, each and every one of those prophets showed themselves to be lacking in some way, shape, or form. Um, They would either, at one point or another, turn away from saying, Thus saith the Lord, or they themselves would not live according to the word that they were preaching. But of course, Jesus Christ is the one who fully completes that role, as he is the perfect prophet given by the Lord. And so, what we began looking at last week then is how does that then relate to us today? because we can we can look and see the glorious truths of how Christ fulfills these roles, but does that have any bearing or any impact on us today as believers? And the answer is yes, the church has a prophetic role now again, as i 've tried to explain, and, and of course, as we go through this you 'll see we'll, we'll more clearly explain what I mean by this, but we 're not talking about the church being able to continue in what we call foretelling. Um, that gift, the, the, uh, the idea of being able to tell the future, is something that ended at the close of the canon. So when Revelation was finished, um, nothing was to be added, nothing to, was to be taken away. And so that continuing role is not something that goes on today. And that's oftentimes what we think of when we think of prophecy. We think of people saying what's going to happen in the future. But in reality, the prophets, the majority of the content of what they said to Israel was not about future events. It was calling them to see their sin now, to repent of their sin now, and to turn back to Yahweh, to turn to the Lord And so that particular aspect of the prophetic role, that is a role that Christ, having now ascended to the Father, has been passed to the church. We are now the ones who stand and continue the role that Christ himself began here on earth. And so we've been talking about how God enables us to do this. And so we've talked about, first of all, and we spent some time talking about how this happens because we are united with Christ. And again, I mentioned how when we talk about our union with Christ by faith, we often think about how that then entitles us or, or gives us rights that Christ himself has. So, for instance, Christ is able to immediately commune with the Father whenever he wants to we being in christ are now accepted before the father that's why the writer of hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace we are able to do that not because we come on our own but because we are in christ and the father will never turn away the presence of his son and united to christ by faith we have that hope we looked at ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then here's the key phrase, in Him or in Jesus Christ. And so the union that we have that is ours through faith allows us to essentially have all the riches that Christ deserves they are ours. And it's, it sounds like, how can that be? But that is the reality that the Scriptures lay out for us. So we think of it, we gen- tend to think of union with Christ as regards the riches that we have from God's grace. But there also is a reality that our continuing mission, the prophetic role that we have here on earth as the church, is ours by virtue of our union with Christ. Not only do we receive the riches that Christ has, but we are able to take the riches of His grace and then use them to fulfill the prophetic role that God has given us to do. And so we spend a lot of time looking at uh, the, the vine and the branches last week, and, and we, talked about, uh, we talked about how that all sort of uh, works its way out in abiding in Christ. How are we able to use the, this role? Well, we have to be in Christ. We have to abide in Christ, and we sort of hash that out. But there's two other passages that we didn't have the time to finish last week, so if you're like, well, I missed last week, Go to our website, Facebook, YouTube, you can watch it and and catch yourself up there uh, that way as well. But two other passages that help us to understand how this works out, and the second passage I want us to consider is Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So Acts 1, of course, is showing the beginning of the church. The church is about to come on the scene uh, from a visible standpoint, and Everything that the Gospels had talked about has been completed. Christ has gone to the cross. He's, well, Christ has completed that role of prophet, priest, and king on earth. He's gone to the cross. He's been the satisfaction of God's wrath on our behalf. He was laid in the tomb. Three days later, he rose again. And so this is now at the end of his time that he spent after being raised from the dead with his um, disciples. And essentially, this is, this is the last scene of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's important to point out what Christ says to his disciples. So the last words of Christ to his disciples here on earth, don't you think they would be significant? Right? And they are significant because it points us to how we're able to fulfill this role. So I know I told you to turn to John 14 and John 15, but we're going to start here. So if you want to turn here, that's fine um, and... Uh, like I said, I'm, all, I'm scatterbrained tonight for some reason, so I'm all over the place. So just, just bear with me, all right? We'll begin actually in verse 1, and then we're going to read through verse 8. Luke says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I, th- I think that's important to note, particularly when we talk about the prophetic role, because how does the prophetic role primarily manifest itself? Through teaching? So Luke is sort of beginning and saying the Gospels show Christ as the perfect prophet. He did all this until the day when he was taken up, he says in verse 2, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. To Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, it's interesting to note the standpoint or the viewpoint that the disciples have here on the mount they are expecting the physical restoration of israel right now they've been there for everything that jesus had said jesus had said his kingdom was not what of this world we talked about that this morning if it was his disciples would fight they would literally take up arms and and fight against the roman rulers but That was not the reality of the kingdom that Christ came to bring. He brought a kingdom that is within us. And so he gently turns their attention away from a physical kingdom to a spiritual kingdom. We see in John 18.36, again, we looked at this morning, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of, of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not... From the world. And again, this is an important fact to keep in mind, particularly as we're working through 1 Peter on Sunday mornings, because Peter is writing to people who are not of this world, to strangers and exiles, to foreigners, to pilgrims. He says in Luke chapter 17, 20 through 21, he's asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answers the Pharisees: The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. It's not about overthrowing governments. It's not about toppling Rome. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, and then here's the thing, where is the kingdom of God coming? The kingdom of God is where? In the midst of you. It's in you. And so the disciples had forgotten this. I mean, and and I can sort of understand why. I mean, Christ had been crucified. He he had then risen from the dead. And so from a from a standpoint of looking at an army that could be raised up to overthrow a government, who can stop somebody who's come back from the dead? Can anyone stop someone? No. And of course, that is a reality. There will be no stopping the physical kingdom of God when Christ returns. No matter how strong we may think we are, we we don't hold a candle to the power of the risen Christ. And so that is a reality, but Jesus is gently pointing his disciples back. And so we see that in verse 7. He said to them, look, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. In fact, he doesn't say, well, that's never going to happen. He just says it's not going to happen now. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by, and this is important, his own authority. I think there's a a gentle rebuke here, something that we can learn from, that we want God to do things whose way? Our way. We want God to do things our way. But God does things His way. And praise God He does. Because if we always got our way, what a mess we would make of things. You know, we look at the world around us today, we look at society degrading, and we think, boy, wouldn't it be great if, if God would just fix this all right now? He's the one who's fixed the times by His authority. And so we just need to trust the promises that He's given us. But, and so Jesus gently rebukes His disciples there, but verse 8 gives such hope because He says, look, I'm not leaving you here without anything to do, right? You, verse 8, Will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Next week we'll dive deep into that. When we look in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, and understand the importance of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. And in fact, we're going to build the anticipation for that, uh, Lord willing, this evening. That's important. But here is it what here so we have the Spirit, but what is it that there that the church is going to be doing? You will be my what? Witnesses. And notice how he says, my witnesses. The disciples' spiritual kingdom work is prophetic. All right, they are called to bear witness to Christ. And in particular, that witness is not something that just stays in Jerusalem. It doesn't just stay in Judea. In fact, it goes beyond the boundaries of israel it goes beyond the boundaries of samaria it goes to where the end of the earth now if you remember when jesus was with his disciples he made a statement he said i'm doing great works and he says to the disciples you will do greater works now that's unfathomable right how can the disciples do greater things than christ can and it's not that Christ can't do it, but how is, that, how is that conceivable? And the answer is, we are pointing to Him. We are His witnesses. We are conducting a prophetic work. We are taking the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so the battle for the coming kingdom does not come through weapons of war, but through prophetic utterance. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what are those strongholds? Well, they are arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. We are given the ability to take every thought captive so that people would what? obey Christ that is the call of the disciples to be witnesses our weapons are weapons of prophetic utterance we say as the prophets of old thus saith the lord and as we give the word of god to the world around us what what does what does the writer of Hebrews tell us about what the Word of God is? It is a sharp, what? Two-edged sword. It pierces deep into the dividing of the joints and marrow, and it's a, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This, this is something that I constantly have to remind myself about. I, I remember recently sharing the gospel with someone, and, and I was, I, they had brought up an argument, and I was able, from my own perspective to come up with some very logical arguments against what they were saying. And someone pulled me aside, and I appreciated that they did this. They said, you know, everything you said was absolutely true, but there was just one thing lacking. He says, all you would have had to do is just quote, and then he gave me a passage of Scripture to quote. And I think that's important for us to recognize the power of the gospel, the power of the work that we're called to do is not found in our ability to provide rational, reasoned, helpful arguments are the power of the gospel is found in the word of God to say thus saith the Lord. And so that's where we need to look for the weapons of our warfare as we seek to expand the spiritual kingdom of God. Oh, well, Also, when we talk about Acts chapter 1, I don't think we can talk about it without talking about Matthew 28. Because, again, this shows us how we do this work. How are we Christ's witnesses here on the earth? And Christ sends the disciples to make disciples of all the nations by commissioning them, and this is important, with His prophetic authority and with His presence. Notice what He says in Matthew 28, 18-20. He comes to them and He says to them, How much authority does Christ have? How much? All authority in heaven and on earth. That that is a magnificent statement. In other words, is there anybody that has more authority than Jesus Christ? No. He has all authority. It's given to him on heaven and on earth. So, keeping that in mind, therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you how long? Always. To what extent? To the end of the age. Now, how does that work? How does the authority of Christ reside upon us? And how does His presence remain with us? And the answer is, Union with Christ. We are Christ's, and He is ours. The authority of Christ that he speaks of here refers to that prophetic ministry. A ministry unlike any other prophet. Because Christ derived His authority not from anyone. Remember, we looked at this. The prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. What does Jesus say? I say unto you, And so now we are given that same authority, not for us to say, Phil Golden says unto you, but to say, Jesus Christ says unto you according to his word. That prophetic ministry is given us. And then the presence of Christ, I'd say definitely to some degree it speaks of our union with him. That we are, that where we are, by virtue of our union with him, he is also there. Jesus Christ has come and made His home with His disciples. And that home is a place where He remains with us. So that we truly are the body of Christ. Called to be His witnesses and enabled to take that message by virtue of our union with Him. Then we also see one other passage that speaks to the prophetic role in regards to our union with Christ, we see that in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I'm going to read all of the chapter of Ephesians, but we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16 in particular. The reason why I'm reading the whole chapter is I think it's important that we understand what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the body of Christ. So, again, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always, even until the end of the age. How is that seen? Well, we are called by Paul the body of Christ. Christ is the head, but we are genuinely his body. So he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what is this that we've been called to? He speaks about us telling us to, to do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All right, So we're to be bound together by the Holy Spirit. And then notice what he says. How many bodies are there? One. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and what, in all. And the, I believe the King James translates in you all. And so there's a, I think I think they're right there to point to that because Christ's presence is, is given to with union with his church. He is in us. How is he in us? Well, grace is given to us. He says in verse seven according to the measure of Christ's gift. Notice what it says. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So what are these gifts? Well, he gave apostles and prophets. The evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. For what purpose? So that they could do the work of the ministry? Is that what he says? I think this is something that's missed so often. We think of professional clergy as ministers. That is unbiblical. Notice who the true ministers of the church are. So that these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers would equip the saints... So that they would do what? The work of the ministry. Now, of course, that means that shepherds and pastors need to be doing the work of the ministry, but guess who else needs to be doing the work of the ministry? The body. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up, and here it is, the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of, Of the stature, of the fullness, of who? Of Christ. Now, I just want you to think for a second about how this works with our union with Christ. Christ is in us. His grace is given to us, giving us gifts, so that as we exercise those gifts, we are able to build each other up to be like who? Christ. Can we do that apart from being united to Him? Apart from Him being in us? No. And so that's pivotal to understand how we do that, but then also to point to what we're seeking to become so that we would be the fullness of Christ here on the earth. He is in heaven at the Father's right hand interceding for us. Our job is to live as Christ to the world. We are His body as He fills us. That means then, verse 14, that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And Now here's the reality. The world we live in, there's going to be all sorts of winds of doctrine and teaching. And is that not true? Look at, look at the world around us. Turn on Cornerstone television. You'll see every flavor of Christianity out there. we can see that there's human cunning brought against the truth of God's word we are called to stand in the wisdom of God not the wisdom of man and these this human cunning is craftiness in lies in lying schemes he says or in deceitful schemes so understand what the argument Paul has been making here we are Called to be Christ's body. We are united with Christ. The ministry of the Spirit is given to us so that we can be Christ's body among this world. But how do we keep ourselves away from these things? Human cunning, craftiness, every wind of doctrine. How do we do that? And that's where we come to verse 15. Rather, rather than going off in those things, what are we to do towards each other? Speak the truth. In love. Now, when you're speaking the truth, can we not call that a prophetic ministry? Saying, because where is the truth? Who who is the truth? Jesus Christ. So we say, "Thus saith the Lord" to each other. We speak the truth to each other. So that, and again, he points to the purpose of this. So that. We are to grow up in every way, and here's that phrase that Paul loves so much, particularly in the book of Ephesians, into him, in him, united in him. Into him, he says, who is the head. And then to make sure that we're not missing who the head of the church is, he says, into Christ. There it is, union with Christ. What does Christ do as he is united with those who are growing in the truth as it's spoken in love? From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body what? Grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is what's exciting about the role, the prophetic role that the church has today. Christ spoke a lot to the world around him, calling them to repent and to turn to him. He's tasked the church with taking the message of the gospel and speaking it to the world around us, calling them to do are they are we calling them to do anything different? No. Repent, turn to Christ. Christ's message is our message. But we also have a role in speaking to each other in building up each other, he, in the prophetic ministry of the church. Paul points us to the prophetic ministry of the body that we are called to speak the truth in love. And it's, it's remarkable to me to see how Jesus models this for us on earth. When he's speaking to the Pharisees who are spewing their false teaching, he is sometimes very harsh with them. He doesn't mince words. When he's speaking to... Those who are broken by their sin, or to his disciples, we find him being gentle and lowly. We find him leading his disciples, speaking to them lovingly. And that's the role that we have. The prophetic ministry of the church is saying, Thus saith the Lord, proclaiming Christ's truth. And again, I think it's important to notice that the focus, particularly here in Paul, is not outward but inward. So There's a challenge here for us as believers. What do you talk about with other believers? What is the subject and the content of your conversations? We are all equipped by Christ and, our, and by virtue of our union with Him and then through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be speaking truth to each other. Are we doing it? Or are our conversations so easily led to things that are useless and empty. The purpose of our speaking the truth is to so that the church can grow into Christ. Now, I think this does definitely have evangelistic overtones. How does the church grow? Through multiplication. multiplication individuals hearing the gospel message, repenting and turning to Christ and coming in and being a part of the, of the church. That certainly is the case. But I think Paul's particular focus here is on the church. Our ministry with each other. You, so really what we can say is that we are all prophets to each other. Saying, thus saith the Lord, to call people to repent of their sin and to trust and turn more to Jesus Christ. Now, this is, I think, one of the things that is the responsibility of pastors. That's their primary role. Preaching the word of God. Saying, thus saith the Lord. This morning, we talked about submission to human authorities. And, you know, I had several people say that's really hard stuff to actually obey. It is. But yet, God is calling us to follow His word. But it's also a ministry every believer has. You don't have to stand up behind a pulpit to, to conduct the prophetic ministry of speaking the word so that it would build up other believers. Now, do it lovingly. We, we, and again, understanding that if we, see, if we see a brother who's overtaken in a sin, we, who are spiritual seeks to restore such a one, but we do it with humility and gentleness lest we be tempted and fall also because we understand that but by the grace of God, there we would be. But yet we're called to build each other up. So our union with Christ as His body enables us to be prophets to the world and to the church. So, union with Christ. I think we have established that by virtue of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are united to Him, and yes, we bask in all the glories that we have in that, but there is also the same responsibility that Christ has, we're given. And this, again, goes all the way back to Christ being the second Adam, Remember, when we began this whole thing, what was one of the roles that Adam was tasked with? It was a prophetic role. He was entrusted with the Word of God. Did Adam do good with that? No, he failed. So we need someone who's not going to fail, and that's Jesus Christ. And so, united to Him by faith, now that's our responsibility, our call, to take up the prophetic ministry. So God enables us, first and foremost, by uniting us with Christ by faith. Secondly, how does God enable us? Well, He enables us through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we can now go to John 14 and 16. So if you take your Bibles, I told you to come here first. Then we went all sorts of different places. So now we're back, John 14 And there's a couple things here that I'd like us to consider. We'll see how far we get this evening. John 14. Look with me in verses 15 through 18. And then verses 23 and 26. And then we'll turn over to 16, 12 through 15. So, um, again, I'm do, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to proof text. I would love to spend the time to hash out every every glorious truth from John chapter 14. But... We're already moving at a snail's pace through this study, so we'd never get anywhere there. So we're just going to focus on the promises that Christ makes of the Holy Spirit. So look in verse 15 through 18 of John 14. Jesus says, after he has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right, that's the context here. He says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Then skip down to verses 23 through 26. He says, Jesus answered him, this is Judas Iscariot asking in verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's. And then keep on reading in verse 25. Uh, Oh, yeah, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then skip to chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. He says, this is, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. He says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while, you will not see me. And again, um, a little while, and you will see me. Because I'm going to, oh wait, I'm reading the wrong thing. 12 through 15. I told you, I'm scatterbrained tonight, alright? Verse 12 of chapter 16. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but at whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. And I still marvel at verse 15. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He, the Spirit, will take what is mine, everything that the Father has, and He will what? Declare it to you. Now, I could spend a lot of time on that. That is is an astronomically massive statement of our Lord. But we'll get to it in a little bit. (laughs) So, Jesus gives the promise of the Spirit. Again, Jesus is explaining to His disciples that He is soon to depart from them. Now, think about it from the disciples' perspective, all right? They've spent three years of their lives in the seminary of Jesus Christ, all right? No better professor that you could have than to sit at the feet of Jesus for three years and to learn um, from him. And then he says to them, you know what, I'm going away. And they're like, what? Of course they don't want him to go away. And so Jesus is soon to depart from them, but he does not leave his disciples alone. He promises that another helper will be sent by the Father at the request of the Son. Now, who's the first helper? Notice he says another helper. So who's the first helper? Christ is. He is the first helper. He's been with his disciples, teaching them, guiding them, giving them his word. So the other helper is the Holy Spirit. The second helper will then minister or help or comfort the disciples in the same way that the first helper would. So just just to understand what Jesus is promising here to his disciples, all right? How many of you would have loved to sit at Jesus' feet as he gave the Sermon on the Mount, all right? That would be awesome. You know what? You can. Because the Spirit is yours. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there's someone that is just as good as I am. The Holy Spirit. And and we realize as well, the Spirit is not like some sort of extra tacked on part of, of God. He is fully God. So, Christ agrees with the Father, and the Son, of course, submissively listening to the Father and the Son, what does He do? He, he comes with us. We have a third of the triune God with us at all times. That is just as good as sitting at the feet of Jesus. And, of course, the, the Spirit uses His Word to show us these things. So we have this other helper that Jesus promises And we will stop there because I'm not going to do to you tonight what I did this morning and go like 20 minutes over like I was supposed to. So next week we'll talk about, all right, Jesus promises the Spirit. Now what will the Spirit do? And he's going to talk about the Spirit's presence with his disciples. He's sending him to be with us. He's not leaving us as orphans. So what does the Spirit do? And that's what we're going to look at next week. Considering the spirit's presence, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Father, Father, you're magnificent in your glory, in your excellencies, in your majesty, in your power. There's none like you, Father. You have given us your Son who in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He came and taught His disciples for three years, giving them Your Word. And then He tasked His disciples to take that ministry of proclaiming Your Word and to share it with the world around us and with ourselves. Father, for us to accomplish this work, You have united us to Christ by faith. So, Lord, may we truly understand that we are given authority. We are promised Your presence. We are promised Your power until the end of the age. So may we go boldly proclaiming your truth to the world and proclaiming it to your body so that it would grow to become more like you. And Father, we thank you as your Son promised that you've also given us your Spirit. And as we will continue to look at the promises and then the fulfillment of those promises in the book of Acts, Father, may we seek to... Renew afresh our understanding of the Holy Spirit and dependence on Him in all that we do. Father, thank You for all that we have in Christ. Lord, may we go from this place today seeking to speak of Your Word to those we see. We pray this in Christ's name, pleading His blood. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great rest of your week.